This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Four Days to Glory, Barack Obama, Yes We Can. And the author is Dr. Sam H. Hughes, and Dr. Hughes joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dr. Hughes. Hello, Steve. How's everything today? Well, great to have you with us. This is quite a picture book in general, but it has a, a great theme of volunteering for getting out the vote. Back in 2008 for Barack Obama, you say that it was just the last days before the national election, and of course, you felt you could change U.S. history forever. Obviously, it did change history because a black man became president of the United States. And you say, I helped make that happen by walking miles and miles in a place called Middleburg, Florida. So uh, now you're from Texas. Uh, Houston, Texas. Houston, yes. Texas. So obviously uh, volunteered to go to a whole nother state and, and uh, we'll find out some of those details but let's first learn a little bit about you, Dr. Hughes, and also why you decided to do this. Okay, I'm a native Houstonian. I grew up in Houston. I'm a retired public school administrator. I was a special education director for the Houston Independent School District for 32 years. I'm retired from the U.S. Navy. I was a hospital corpsman with the 226 Marine Corps in Vietnam. And I compete annually in the Texas Senior Olympics. And I also compete with the National Veterans Golden Age Games. We compete annually in the different states. All the disabled veterans, we come together once a year and we compete in competitive events. I'm a USA track and field official. I officiate summer track, high school track, and college track. And I do Little League baseball and Little League football. So it kind of keeps me on the go. Boy, I'd say. I'd say. Well, thank you for all your service in the military and for all your uh, uh, just uh, trying to help understand this very special moment, especially uh, I guess you said you did it for your grandkids to begin with? Yes. What happened, we had our early vote campaign in Houston, and we had completed it, and I was a neighborhood delegate to the state convention, and we received a call back uh, to Texas that they needed volunteers to go help with the Get Out the Vote campaign for Obama, and they needed volunteers for Ohio, Virginia, and Florida. And they told us that they would provide transportation and housing if we would volunteer to go to one of those three states to help with the get out the vote, and this was uh, the last four days before the national election. So I said, well, this is history of the making and a free trip. <laughs> so I decided, why not? Let me volunteer, and I want to go so I can take some pictures and tell my grandkids and family, you know, how it would be like to help with the first potentially black person to win in office, and that's how it came about. 
So at that moment, you started snapping pictures, not even thinking about doing a book. That's exactly correct. Uh, I grew up taking pictures old, from a young child all the way up, so I always kind of had a camera with me, and I always took a lot of pictures of my grandkids growing up and my kids growing up. So I said, well, since they're in school, they're going to need something for show and tell, so I'll show them what it's like about it, and I just always grab my camera to go. And I started the adventure snapping pictures. So it's a pictorial adventure of the volunteer get out to vote campaign. Back then, uh, four days before the election in 2008, uh, you left Houston to go all the way to Florida. Well, what did you think at that time? Did you think it was possible for a black man to become president? Well, we had always hoped that it would be, and we knew that the vote count was getting pretty close. And before we left uh, Houston, we heard that he was within about eight percentage points of, uh, you know, tying up with McCain at that time. So that's why they were saying if they could turn Florida or get a percentage of Florida, he would be in the running for the election. So I I chose Florida rather than go to Virginia or Ohio because... One, I wanted to see Florida, and that was going to be a key battleground state for us. How would you uh, describe the volunteers that were on this trip with you? Uh, Were they from all walks of life? Yes, the volunteers on our bus was a mixture of young, old, black, white, brown, retired citizens, professionals, college students. It was quite a mixture on the bus, and they each had different opinions of it. So I knew it was going to be a very spirited group once we got on the bus because we had all walks of life, but they all were going for one common goal to see if they could help with the election because it was only four days to go. So when you got there, what did you find out? Um, You know, how was it organized? How did you do? Well, it was very organized. We were surprised at the number of people that turned out to go, and the three buses showed up that were going to leave for Virginia and Ohio, and the one for Florida was going to run a little late because we had one family that was coming late, and while we were waiting, they put us on the bus, and they started playing a video uh, from the Obama campaign entitled, uh, Yes, We Can. And on this video, it was showing a little background about Obama and his lifestyle and how the campaign was going, and the entire bus just got hyped. They start cheering and clapping and singing on the bus, and we're still waiting on the parking lot. So during this video, I grabbed my pencil and paper, and I started to write a poem because I I do a lot of writing too, and I titled this poem, On the Bus. If you can see the top of the mountain, remember what you see. You see the valley below, you see the mountain ridge ahead. From the top of the mountain, you see the sun's unobstructed view. From this mountain top, I can see the ocean shores and know my journey to the next distant shore is just a boat ride away. My climb to the mountain top is no longer a dream, no longer a struggle. I am the captain of my faith, the master of my dream. I am Barack Obama standing at the mountaintop. 
And I wrote that instantly, and it just kind of inspired everyone sitting around me. How could you write that so quickly? I said, I just saw the video, and it just came to me instantly, just like that. So the bus really kind of exploded, and we clapped and cheered, and finally we took off. It was a 16-hour ride from Houston to get to Florida. So it was a long-spirited ride, and we had a lot of debate, conversation on the bus about um, the campaign and what we should be doing and things like that. But after listening to all this back-and-forth debate, because we had such a diverse group of, you know, black, white, brown philosophizing on it, I said, uh, well, let me propose this question to the bus. What if we change the national primaries across America to one day and make it a weekend? More people would vote. Less money would be needed. Each state would not get grand theft money from a less than honest campaign. And then the second question, what if we put term limits on all public elected officials, including the Supreme Court? the most powerful political office in the world, the President of the United States, is only two terms. But we have elected people in office 40, 50 years. Senator Byrd was 91 years old before he died. Senator Kennedy, 40-plus years. Supreme Court is for life. Too much happens in the world for young, bright minds not to get a chance. And boy, this started a grand old debate, and we had so much back and forth, I just rolled over in my little corner and, and went to sleep once I started <laughs> this debate, because I said, I've done my job. I've got them really thinking, so I can see how this trip is really going to go. So that's kind of how we got off and running, and the debate lasted all the way up until the next morning till we got to Florida. And during the course of this time, I met a young man named uh, Joseph Woods. We called him Joy. Uh, he was a 26-year-old little guy. He had gotten out of the Air Force, and he was an economics major at the University of Houston. And we kind of hit it off on the bus. And I told him I was a retired veteran myself, and we just chit-chatted. And I said, well, Joy, why don't you and I just kind of partner up when we get to Florida? And you and I can, you know, do the canvassing together. And uh, we just hit it off as two peas in a pod. And he said, well, Sam, I like the way you think, and you're kind of like my dad to me, so you got a lot of wisdom, so I'm going to listen to you. I said, well, okay, Joy, let's do this. And he said, well, you and I can speak Republican together. You speak the black Republican, I speak the white Republican. I said, hey, <laughs> that's good. Let's go. So how was it? What was it like? campaigning for Barack Obama in Republican counties in Florida? Well, it started off unusual. The day we got to Gainesville, Florida, number one, there was no room and hot meals waiting on us. So they had to scramble to call for volunteers to find places for us to stay. Within 30 minutes of the bus arrival in Gainesville, they gave us a, a canvas sheet for the neighborhood and told us to start walking. We left all our luggage at this uh, depot site, 
and we started walking with him 30 minutes after we got to Florida. And we walked for, oh, at least a good two hours in the neighborhood putting out campaign flyers. And by the time we came back uh, to see if we had rooms and places to stay, the hot meal that was promised to us was warmed over pizza. And the places that we had to stay were homes of volunteers. They had to call to find out places for this 60-something volunteers to sleep. And my friend Joy was assigned a uh, kind of a YMCA downtown place that he called the Roach Motel <laughs> because of all the labor folks and drunkards and everything that oh, was hanging around, around the motel. Yeah. And they assigned me to a residential session about, to, oh, I guess about 10 miles outside the city. So I laughed at him all night on the phone about how nice my accommodations were and how his Roach Motel was going. But <laughs> the family that I was assigned to was a retired couple, and they gave me their son's bedroom, and they said they would be honored if I would accept it because their son was killed in Afghanistan. He was 26 years old, mm. and they offered the room to me. I tried to turn it down. I said, just give me a you know, place on the floor for a couple of hours till we you know, get squared away. But they put me in their son's room, and it really humbled me. You know, It made me want to cry because mm. they said he was only 26 years old and had a life in front of him and things that he had wanted to do in life. But this was their way of showing you know, their son some respect, and I really appreciated that. And Mm-hmm. That's kind of how we started off on the very first day. Would you campaign again for Barack Obama? Yes, I would. Because I think history has been made, but we still have a long way to go. Uh, the canvassing started the second day we got there. They took us to um, a place called uh, Orange County, and within Orange County, there's a, a, a subdivision called Middleburg, Florida. Middleburg, Florida is kind of a rural area that we didn't know about at first. And when we met with the campaign coordinator, she assigned Joy and I to go out to Middleburg. So quite naturally, you know, not knowing Florida, we accepted, they gave us a canvas sheet of about 250 homes to canvas. And we're thinking, you know, being inner city people, you know, we can walk a neighborhood, knock on a door, something real simple. But Middleburg is a very rural area, 100% McCain Palin. So when they took us out to Middleburg, Florida, they dropped us off on the freeway that separates Middleburg and we went to the left with a sheet of about 250 homes. The homes were like, oh, anywhere from a quarter mile apart to maybe a mile apart. <laughs> no street lights, no paved roads, nothing. And what we found out was that most of the homes were trailer homes in this area. And the reason for that, they told us that Florida has a law. If you live in a trailer home, 
you don't pay taxes. Mm. Consequently, no taxes, no street service, no lights, whatever. Right. And the other part of Middleburg, we were told later that it was a, a large meth labs, large drugs being sold out in Middleburg, out in the you know country, just like in the uh, the Ozarks and the hillbillies. Mm. And it was so rural, we saw rebel flags everywhere we went, every corner, every block, mailboxes were nailed to trees, down in ditches. And we started wondering, how does the, the mailman even deliver mail here? You know, these houses are quarter mile apart, back roads, dirt roads, and pit bulls running everywhere, German shepherds. So Joy and I made a pact. I said, well, wherever we go, let's do it together. Right. We'll knock on the door, and we won't say we're with uh, Barack. We'll just say we're with the Get Out the Vote campaign, go vote the your choice and just leave because we, you know, uh, recognize we were not in friendly territory. <laughs> so one of the homes that uh, my friend Joy knocked on the door while I was getting this campaign literature together, I heard him yell and scream, oh, hell no. And I turned, I said, oh, Lord, he even got shot. And I turned and looked and he was holding his nose backing out of the door I said, Joe, I told you, never go to a door without both of us. And he said, Sam, there's a 300-pound naked lady laying in the bed there hollering, come in. Mm. And we just fell out laughing. We just mm. laughed. <laughs> but it was an adventure. It, was... it sounds like it. Quite an adventure. Uh, we've been listening to Dr. Sam H. Hughes. He is the author of his pictorial book, Four Days to Glory, Barack Obama, Yes, We Can. Dr. Hughes, tell us how to get your book. It's with Arthur House Publishing. It can be bought online from Amazon.com as well as BarnesandNoble.com. Either of those three sites, the book can be obtained. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hughes, for being with us on Author Talk. I do appreciate everything. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriend It is on Tugging 
Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, Girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back. To Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Diva's Guide to an Acne-Free Life, One Girl's Journey from Zitty to Pretty. And the author is Dawn Amador, and Dawn joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dawn. Hello, how are you? Fascinating journey. We're going to hear about your story. Uh, at one time in your life, you thought there was no hope, but here you are uh, a few years later with an, an incredible story of, I guess, like it says, uh, zitty to pretty, and then a whole lot more. We're going to learn about your business <laughs> and all the things you're doing. Uh, you say this, the deepest guide to an, ac- an acne-free life is a story about one who struggled with adult acne for almost a decade, and the journey mm-hmm. she went on to achieve a happy, fulfilling, acne-free life. You also say uh, a lot of health books uh, can be somewhat dry. You try to break down complex ideas into easy-to-understand stories. And, of course, in your book, you tell it from a personal point of view. You can't get it any better than that. It isn't just theory. Uh, this is something that you lived and did. And here you are, and you're at the ripe old age of 31 with your own business, helping others who struggle with uh, skin problems. Uh, well, let's go back. Let's go back, Dawn. Tell us how this got started. Well, when I was a student at UC Berkeley, I started getting chronic acne and skin conditions all over my body. I had eczema. I had contact dermatitis. I also got a skin disorder called lichen planus that covered my legs and my torso, And all of these are autoimmune problems brought on by stress and diet and lifestyle. And as I'm sure you can imagine, being a young woman um, and being plagued with this, it's just just, just horrible for your self-confidence. I mean, I think acne is a disease, and I call it a disease because it is, and it's a social disease that a lot of us struggle with um, privately because I think if you open up to people about the fact that, oh, I have this skin disorder, this is going on with me, because it's not life-threatening. People might think you're vain, um, you know, sort of self-involved, but that's not the case. A lot of people having my clinic now, I, they feel the exact same way. It's like you don't want to be social, you don't want to go out and date, um, you just basically want to hide in your house and go to class or people who have adult acne and they go to work and they don't want to stand up and talk in front of meetings and they feel embarrassed. Um, So I kind of went through this, you know, I would go home at night and I would go to the doctor or get some pill or some cream and I um, 
thought, oh, this is going to work. This is going to make me feel better. This is going to make me look better. And then it didn't. And then you're, you sink into a deeper depression. And I got to a point at one time in my life where I would literally cry myself to sleep every night going and wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, my God, I hope this works. I hope I have clear, beautiful skin. And you, you don't. And so I think with my frustration, of, and I think dermatologists play a great role in, in our community and in our society. But for me, that wasn't working. The antibiotics made me sick to my stomach. They didn't make me feel good. I would put topical antibiotics and benzoyl peroxide on my face, and I'd get contact dermatitis. So I was just like, there has to be another way. And so then I started looking. I mean, luckily, I was a student at Berkeley. And so Berkeley's kind of home of the hippie organic lifestyle and um, alternative medicine. So I started really studying Chinese herbs and Chinese medicine and alternative therapies and um, just looking at diet and eating differently. And then I started to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And it didn't happen overnight. Um, it was a lot of trial and error um, to realize what works for me. And I think that's why my book is called A Journey because I do outline the basics that acne is an inflammatory condition and some foods that you can eat and, you know, and products that you can put on your skin that are anti-inflammatory. But what may work for me may not work for somebody else. And it's kind of finding your, your journey. But I do think if you do get on that pathway of, of eating better and the pathway of spirituality and uh, what you put on your skin too absorbs into your bloodstream. I actually was talking to a naturopathic friend of mine because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what skincare product I put on my face, you know. And I said, well, yeah, everything you put on your skin, our skin's our largest organ, goes into our bloodstream. And my friend who's a naturopath goes, tell them to go put a piece of garlic in the sole of their shoe, and a half an hour later they'll taste garlic in their mouth just to show you how everything absorbs into our body. So that's why I also, too, on my pathway, I got really passionate about um, looking at, you know, natural ways too topically. And I talk about in my book that I carry the line um, Eminence Organic Skincare out of Hungary because it's a very natural botanical line that's very healing to the skin. And anything from their line that I put on my face, I know I could feed to myself or feed to my kids. Not that we want to eat skincare, but, you know, if... You could eat it and you're not going to get sick. It's not going to have any sort of adverse reaction inside your body, whereas a lot of skincare products you can go to the mall and you pull them off and you just you can't even pronounce half the names on the back of the label and you're not going to feed that to your kids or put that in your, your mouth. So, As you pointed out, this has been a journey for you because you say you've tried nearly every remedy suggested and tested numerous products. Nothing seemed to work for you. Yeah, I mean, I, because it's not just a topical equation, so that's, that's where my book comes in where I have the recipes and I have the food and I, I have the diet and I talk a lot about, you know, inflammation in the body and I, I kind of thread that through my whole entire book because I have, I've, I've tried, I'm not going to name names, but I've tried pretty much every mail order, prescription, uh, products you could possibly put on your skin and sometimes yes I would get a little bit clear for a while if you do topical annihilation and you put benzoyl peroxide salicylic acid glycolic acid and you're taking antibiotics is your skin going to get clear yeah but then I was getting contact dermatitis and I was getting you know sick from the, the antibiotics I was constantly taking so you go off of that and then a light kind of goes on in your head right where you're like something is going on systemically with me if I stop putting all of these harsh chemicals on my face 
and the symptoms come right back. I think you can say that with any disease, right? If you have diabetes or some other chronic disease, you're taking a prescription medication and you stop taking that medication and the disease is still there, you got to kind of, I think we got to kind of ask ourselves, well, what's going on with me internally? What can I change about my lifestyle and my eating habits and the way that I think to change what's going on with me? And so that's where I think my book, that big push is, is that, you know, I think as a society now, we are, we all want a quick fix. You know, we all want to take that, that pill that's going to, you know, fix us instantaneously, but that's just masking the problems. And I even talk about this in my book, if, you know, taking a pill or just putting something in your, your body that's going to cover the symptoms, it's like sitting in a burning building and turning the fire alarm off. Um, cause you're not, you're not putting out the fire, the fire's still there, but the alarm is off. And right. I think a lot of things we do nowadays, um, to deal with problems like acne or other chronic diseases, we're just sitting in the burning building and we turn the fire alarm off and that fire alarm is basically any sort of pill or antibiotic that we can, we can take for whatever condition we're dealing with. Well, you start out right with the basics. What is acne, uh, diet and acne, acne, and then... You start mentioning some things that are, I imagine, really uh, uh, challenge people's thinking because, like you say, why is dairy so evil? Everybody, everybody loves milk and cheese and yogurt and ice cream. Boy, that that's tough. Yeah, and I mean, dairy is definitely one of the main uh, triggers for acne. I mean, even some doctors that are coming out and saying, you know, eliminate dairy out of your diet. And I think especially now, too, I mean, we put a lot of growth hormones into cows, um, you know, and cows live in these very unsanitary conditions. And anything that that cow is having done to them is affecting us. I mean, we're taking that in. If we think that some cows getting, is sitting on a farm getting injected with hormones, that we're not getting those hormones and we get their milk. And you, as we know, a lot of acne conditions are related to hormonal imbalances. And on top of that, even if you drink the purest of milk, acne opens up our androgen receptors, which is a male hormone, um, which triggers the acne process. And I speak about that in my, in my book. So a lot of times me just taking all my clients off of dairy completely, I see about 70% clearing in their skin. Then you have uh, anti-inflammatory meals, superfoods for the thriving diva. You talk about supplements. <laughs> and then you get into an area that uh, some people know about colonics, but a lot of people don't understand what colonics are all about. Yeah, so believe it or not, I've done a lot of research on this, and a lot of us don't have a healthy functioning digestive system. And most of us are walking around, and I know this sounds a little bit gross, but it's true. Most of us are walking around with 5 to 20 pounds of fecal matter buildup within our system. And so even just going on a clean, healthy diet, and I've learned through my journey on myself, isn't enough because we can go on this detoxifying diet, but if our colon isn't functioning correctly, our digestive system isn't functioning correctly, all of those toxins that our livers are trying to purge when we're on this anti-inflammatory diet can just get re-back absorbed, reabsorbed back into the bloodstream. And so in, in order to sort of quickly help your body detoxify, you can go to a colon hydrotherapist or you can do enemas at home. But I always suggest because 
um, it is something that we're not familiar with. So even if you go to a colon hydrotherapist once or twice, if she can explain to you uh, what's going on, the whole entire process of the importance of cleansing the colon and cleansing the bowels and getting that toxic waste and old fecal matter to move out of you. So that is going to make a, a big difference. And then, of course... You say, uh, love thy, and how do you pronounce that? Esthetician. 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 I am an esthetician. And what is that? An esthetician is a, a skin therapist. So we deal with the largest organ of the body, which is the skin. And so when you come into an esthetician, you know, some people go in for relaxation. You know, go, you go to a top spa around the country and an esthetician can be more of a relaxation therapist to deeply cleanse the skin and relax you. Um, there's estheticians like myself who are more treatment result oriented esthetician. So basically you come in to me and we do skin assessments. We put you on a good skincare regime and we do facial treatments. And they're usually about an hour long and um, we focus them on, most estheticians focus their treatment to uh, what skin condition that pro- person has going on with them. And I think nowadays esthetician is very different than what it was 10 years ago because we do have a lot of technology at our hands. So we, I think we give a more natural approach than a dermatologist would. You know, you go to a dermatologist and you're having skin problems and, you know, they're going to prescribe you some medication and maybe put you on some products and send you out the door. Whereas an esthetician... Uh, you know, I counsel my clients on, you know, diet and lifestyle. I um, help them balance out their skincare program. And we do, depending on how bad their skin is, sometimes we do weekly treatments, biweekly treatments, or monthly treatments where they come in and they get their skin resurfaced. And, um, you know, we do things from, I talked about my book, from microdermabrasion to light therapy. And, of course, I use Eminence Organic Skincare, so I do a lot of or organic peeling in my treatments. And what's the importance of probiotics? So probiotics, um, that was a big jump from esthetician to probiotics. <laughs> <laughs> um, probiotics are the healthy intestinal flora we have in our gut. And a lot of us, because of pollution and diet and lifestyle and stress and antibiotics, that, those, that in- healthy intestinal flora is getting depleted. And so nowadays, um, Dr. Alejandro Youngar, who wrote the book Clean, really talks about that the gut is our second brain. And when you don't have a high population of healthy intestinal flora, then you can get chronic inflammation, your immune system doesn't function properly. They're linking it to things such as depression and acne. So when you take probiotics, you're actually putting back um, into balance your intestinal flora so that you can have proper digestion, so that you can lower the inflammation within your system and just calm your system overall. Well, fascinating. You have, uh, well, you're a wealth of knowledge because of this journey. And, of course, you have your own uh, what would you call it? Your uh, skin care business now? Yeah, so I own an acne treatment center in San Jose, Skin Logic. And uh, you're also, of course, a skin care educator, and mm-hmm. you travel about uh, different workshops and conferences, and all from a young girl who, in her early 20s, uh, couldn't stand to look in the mirror, and now look at you. 
I know. It's a pretty amazing journey, huh? <laughs> and now you're an author on top of and all that. And now I'm an author. You know, my book came about, too, because I literally, I think I was driving my clients batty. They would come in here. And, you know, because I'm not just about the facial. I'm not just about the skincare treatment, even though I think that's an essential part of the equation. And so they would come in here and, you know, I'm always reading something or attending some workshop or going to some conference and not necessarily just in skincare. I attend conferences in wellness and health or I'll go to a class from some, you know, Chinese doctor who, who comes into town and, you know, he's, you know, giving a lecture on herbalism. So, you know, I'd always, they always come in here I'm like, oh, you have to try this. And I'd be writing like 20 sticky notes down for them. And then it kind of evolved into like, you know, I typed up sheets that I, that I would give them. And I, I write a blog on a lot of stuff too. And one day one of my clients was like, you know, Dawn, I wish you just had a book that I could just purchase <laughs> when I left here that had everything in it. And I would remember. She's like, because I lose all of these sticky notes or you, you email me stuff and, you know, I forget about it. So that's sort of where the author part came in. So, right. you know, I was like, Wow, and, and I didn't even really know how my book was going to evolve. I just sort of sat down and um, I started writing it, and uh, then it came. Yep, well, here we are, The Diva's Guide to an Acne-Free Life, uh, One Girl's Journey from Zitty to Pretty. Uh, Dawn Amador. Dawn, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you can purchase my book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. Well, we appreciate you being with us on Author Talk. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. 
The title of the book, Call Forth from the Deep, The Real Case for the Extremely Curly Hair Texture. And the author is Arlene Imbola. And Arlene joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Art. Hello, Arlene. Great to have you with us. Well, hello. It's great to be here. This is a very focused on... uh, Let me say that again. This really focuses on what most women and even men deal with a lot in their lives. Hair drama, as we call it, don't we? Hair drama. Hair drama. Bad hair day. (laughs) Yeah, bad hair day. Let me uh, read what you've written. Kind of give us a little broader view of uh, what we're going to discuss. You say this. To inspire change and bring awareness to the damaging effects of relaxers, braids, and extensions, and expose the harm in continuing practices that hurt our women and children, and without pandering to hair product companies and directing people to new and improved products, your book is very different. It's not like uh, a lot of books on this subject. And, of course, it relies on your cosmetology knowledge and expertise and your personal story, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Very much so. So would you say this is your war against the hair industry? I, I actually talk about waging war. C.C. Winan has a song, Waging War, and it really is because it is so... It is such a quagmire of care or non-care out there, and usually it's focused on buy this new product. And they, it's, 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 it's like a battlefield, minefield for our, our women and children to go through. If you go through any um, stores, you'll see with the ethnic hair care aisle, it's filled with so much junk, and it really doesn't benefit benefit us and benefit them for their hair. So, yes, I do feel like I'm waging war. And they ought to, the, the people who make these products are to listen up and stop treating, to me, black hair or hair that's extremely curly like it's some monster needing to be put in jail or something. So as you were growing up and, and dealing with your hair, how did you feel? Oh, you know, I grew up with girls who, well, of course, everybody knows what good hair is. Good hair is anyone who's mixed with something other than black or a black person mixed with with any other ethnicity. But if you're totally black, like I am, it's very hard for us to look upon our hair as good because it's usually wiry or dry. I have always loved who I am. I am Jamaican, of Jamaican heritage and we already know both. We are not lacking in self-esteem. However, it was still very difficult for me um, to deal with my hair. I could braid. I could do extensions. Very talented where my hair was concerned. But I was never satisfied because it never looked okay to me. I guess I was always comparing it to something else. Well, and the media, of course, uh, paints that perfect picture, doesn't it? So-called perfect picture of the way a woman should look and the way her hair should look. Well, absolutely. And usually um, the perfect picture they paint is usually of a European textured hair on um, a black skin or a dark skin. And that's not necessarily the most healthiest view for us to have. Can our hair be straight and be healthy? Of course, I do that every day. However, it's not... um, 
it's usually of an artificial way to get that look, and that's what becomes devastating to the everyday person who is not take do, getting their hair done, getting in front of a camera and a photographer, picturing, um, taking her photo right then and there. So you had to go through quite a process of learning how to restore your hair. Tell us about that journey. Wow, okay. Well, I know for me, after finishing the military, I didn't know what I was going to do. All I know is I wanted the biggest hair possible when I left the military. And during that journey of just what am I going to do? Our children are in school. What do I do from then? I was led to hairdressing. And then I used to wear braids. I wore braids probably seven years, um, just of kinky twists, as we call them. They're big and they, they look more like dreadlocks. And it really devastated my scalp. And then you know, one day my husband's like, well, you know, are you going to come out of it? Because my other clients, they were fine. My hands could tell when their hair needed care, and I would just do it for them. And the hair just began to look very pretty. So I desired my hair to be okay, too. So when I came out of the braids, it was to find out that my scalp was traumatized. Even though I did my own braids, I did not do them tight. I was not using my sebaceous glands. I was coloring with my braids in, and it really devastated my scalp. So after I started the journey, I was just cutting my hair constantly, getting rid of this wire, bushy hair that was on my head, not relying on products. And lo and behold, I came out with just the hair that was so much softer and so much more pliable. And that's basically um, my hair journey. I was never one to just keep, quote, bad hair on my head. I always would cut it off. And but I was always using other products, but now I just decided, well, I'm supposed to be made very good, so if God says I'm very good, my skin hardly needs any other product, so why should my hair? My body hairs are fine and soft, so why shouldn't my, the hair on my head be soft? Does, does that make any sense, Joe? Sure, um, and, and, and it's, it's, again, it's the, it's the image that is painted before us and is driven home. We just see it, see it, hear about it. Uh, it, it's almost uh, it's almost impossible sometimes for a person to get over that kind of marketing. Yes, it's very tough. We find that in our salon when we do consultations, it is very tough. We are at the point where we're just doing shampoo only, and for the black person, they cannot wrap their minds around that. They do not see how it's possible to just shampoo your hair, blow dry, and flat iron. Caucasians know how to do it, Asians do it, Indians do it, Hispanics do it, but for the black person, they just think that they need everything to control this hair. So extremely curly hair texture has the same difference, as you point out, has a uniqueness as straight, wavy, or curly textures, and it takes somebody like yourself to really understand how to handle it. It really does. Uh, it's not a, um, our, the hair, the extremely curly texture, even in Caucasians, they, it grow, it, and that's what's so ironic because all these textures exist basically in every ethnic group. You have the straight, the wavy, in the, in the African textures, you have straight kinky, wavy kinky, um, curly kinky, and extremely curly kinky. And then in the European textures, you do have the straight, the wavy, and the curly and the extremely curly. It's in Hispanic, you'll find more, too. The Philippines, 
when you go into all these, the Orient, you'll find some of them are so straight, like the Chinese. But then if you go into the Philippines, you'll have more of a wavy. You see where I'm going, right? Right. So we are all so much alike. And what the, the problem becomes with the African kinky texture is that there's so much stereotypes placed upon the skin color as being bad. I think that's what throws over into the hair. So I just remove all that junk about um, black people having bad, kinky, nappy, buckwheat hair. I just removed all that junk and just started focusing on the person and the hair. Structure is the same. So if the structure is the same, then I'm going to treat it like the, the book tells me to treat hair that's dry or dry in nature because of curls, because curls make the hair a little bit more dry. But what I found is that with the curls, you have a lot more sebum. The sebum is richer. The hair oil that the, the body naturally gives off. And for a dark-skinned person, melanin, the oil, that's what makes the skin so supple and thick. And that's what's on our hair, and that's what nourishes our hair. So if we destroy it with the relaxers, destroy the scalp, then we don't have it to help our hair be what it's supposed to be. So it does take uh, some time to get rid of that, the, uh, all the adverse effects of all that artificial treatments. It does take some time, but you know what the wonderful thing is, the hopeful thing is, we've developed, because I had approached some doctors to help us heal underneath the scalp, what you call the connective tissue. Um, I don't deal with the dermis. I deal with the epidermis, the outer hair, the appendage. So it was really hard when they would not help me because I could not go under, I could not um, medicate, prescribe, nothing. Even when I sent my clients to dermatologists, they would still come back with oil. And I'm like, you don't need oil. We need someone to help us heal underneath that scalp that has been devastated by the sodium hydroxide. So what we found are some organic cleansers. We have like four or five organic cleansers that we use that has a lot to do with ammonia, a lot to do with hydrogen um, peroxide, the healing, acidifying, a lot to do with um, just purging the scalp, detoxing the scalp. And it's, it's given us some wonderful results where we don't have to wait as long as I did two years ago. Now we can really get to attacking the scalp and detox on our first visit. And, your and book, it's just remarkable. And your book is different because it does not pander to any product brand or it's not tied to any stereotypes or misconceptions. No, it, it does not. I have to give one disclaimer. I do, do, I do use Joico and ISO products. They're the only products that I have found that is so balancing to the hair. Um, I am an educator for them, but... That product line, it, it's, so, it's made with distilled water, so it doesn't stick on the hair. Every time you shampoo, you shampoo it out of your hair. Many of our products for the black person is made to last on the hair. That's their protective layer for the hair. The, the product becomes a protective layer versus the person's own protective layer. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And for that, those persons who believe that they were at the back of the line when I guess they were handing out hair types and you got the worst <laughs> hair possible 
of, you know, as you put it, you got to explore, discover, and learn and understand your true beauty. Yes, you do. I, that's why our system is called the intelligent hair care. With this mad technology science, why shouldn't we be intelligent about our hair care, right? Right. Well, it's a fascinating uh, you know, explanation, and, and certainly it's so important because the media is filled with black celebrities, and, and most of them don't have their own real hair. They're not uh, sporting their own hair, are they? No, they're not. And even if they call, like now there's a wave of natural hair. Even if they are sporting that hair, the natural hair, quote unquote, they still don't have an understanding of it. So it'll be a wave. And that's how we've noticed the spike in non-relaxer. Then it goes back to relaxer. Then it goes to non-relaxer because no one is truly exploring the hair itself. We're just really fascinated with now I want to be black. So it's like the hair now makes me black all of a sudden. And it's kind of a ridiculous way to look at things because you're black no matter what. You're Caucasian no matter what. Right. You're Asian no matter what. Your hair should not dictate who you are. Your hair should just tell somebody of your personality. That's all. On one day, in the maybe you want to be a redhead or a blonde or a brunette, whatever it is. The hair should just dictate some of your personality. It should not be your identity. And you also give free seminars at the local library. What's that about? Well, we give the free seminars to, um, to educate our public on that they know what feels right. Um, I have a running joke. I am a Christian, so I have a running joke. Like, And I can ask you, where were the men when we were being fashioned, when women were being fashioned? <laughs> Where were the men? Uh-huh. Uh, they were asleep, right? <laughs> <laughs> you are smart. Adam was asleep, yes. Also. Adam was asleep. And I love saying that because every woman intuitively knows what is right. And sometimes the eyes can fool you, and you really don't know, but you know inside what feels good. Hmm. And that is what we're, we're the essence of our education at the library and everywhere else is to say. And part of our beauty industry, ironically, is filled with men. Men actually drive our our right, beauty. Right. And it's it's amazing to me. And I, I, it's kind of offensive now that I know so much about uh, the hair because they were sleeping when we were being fashioned, and yet they're <laughs> telling us what to do with our hair. <laughs> Well, and it does fascinating to me, and I think that's why we have such a, a falling away of womanhood, where we're huh. really not strong yeah. um, as we used to be. That's on either camp, either white, black, whatever it is. We're some strong characters, and we've kind of like lost our zest, hmm. um, and we're kind of like more tugged in whatever direction someone say our beauty lies. And um, even the most quote-unquote ugliest person that we would think they can go do makeovers and they don't even use the, own, the person's own beauty. They're making them over into this caricature of who they, they are, and it's not fair. We've been listening to Arlene Imbola. She is the author of her book, Call Forth from the Deep, the real case for the extremely curly hair texture. Arlene, tell us how to get your book. 
Well, our book is um, available through Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, um, by order. It is on ebook, so you can get it downloaded on the Nook, um, on the Kindle, iPad, however you get your ebooks. On your phone, you, you can get it. It's like $3.99 for ebooks, um, $15 for softcover, $24 for hardcover. So I think it's reasonably priced, and I hope people can go out there and, and get it and let us start um, making a difference. Arlene, thank you for being with us on Author Talk. You are quite welcome, and I thank you so much for having me. You have been a joy. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Yes, sir.